for Thursday, October 21st, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, doctors at Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta have been talking one-on-one with people concerned about getting vaccinated against COVID-19. We've had to have tissue at the table because just about every time I've been there, somebody has begun to cry because they felt seen. Dr. Kimberly Manning, an internist at Grady, joins me to discuss the conversations she's had to get people to say yes to vaccination. That's next. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at wabe.org or wherever you find your podcasts. Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta has set up a table where people with questions about COVID-19 vaccination can share their concerns with medical professionals. Dr. Kimberly Manning, an internist at Grady, has had lots of conversations with folks considering vaccination in recent weeks. She's with me now to discuss some of what she's seen and heard. Dr. Manning, thanks for talking with me. My pleasure. I want to start by having you tell me, if you could, what your experience has been with COVID over the last 18 months or so down at Grady? Yeah, um, so all of my clinical responsibilities are at Grady Hospital, and I've been down there since 2001. And I spend my clinical time split between the outpatient setting, uh, precepting our resident physicians in the clinic, and also on the teaching service, on the hospital service, taking care of our hospitalized patients. But I also work in residency leadership and um, in a role in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so it's been a really interesting um, hybridized mixture of things that I've been doing. So on one end, there's just the direct clinical care, right, where I'm seeing patients in the clinic who are impacted by COVID in one way or another, either um, through the economic impact, through direct health impact, um, the impact on family And then for our hospitalized patients, I think a big thing that we're seeing at our safety net hospital 
it's really that downstream effect of, you know, that person who was staying with a family member on the couch, but now has COVID. So can't return to that house because there's nowhere to isolate or that person who needs, you know, a skilled nursing facility or rehab and can't go because all of the facilities are full and they don't have much insurance or a way to pay for it. So we're really feeling a lot of both the clinical and economic impact. And that's what I'm seeing. And something that you've been doing a good bit of recently, and I know this from your uh, social media profile, you're very active on Twitter, is having conversations with people who might be reluctant or still in the process of deciding about COVID-19 vaccination. Tell me a little bit about how that outreach work uh, started. I think the first part is I felt an urgency because of my own identity, right? So I'm a Black American. I'm a descendant of individuals who survived slavery. And I went to two historically Black colleges, one of which is Tuskegee University, the other of which is Meharry Medical College. And I've been down at Grady for 20 years with family originally from Alabama, right? So a lot of the patients that I was seeing, they really are like my family members and like the people that I grew up with. And I started noticing that there was this narrative that was emerging about people who looked like me and my patients that was starting to kind of create this idea of them as a monolith who were either afraid or believing in some conspiracy or caught up in misinformation or lacking trust because of air quotes, Tuskegee, And I started to find that in my community, but also with my patients, the one-on-one conversations that I was having with people, they were just so heterogeneous, you know, it just wasn't one size fits all. And I recognized that if I thought carefully about my own intersecting identities and tried to work on being trustworthy to build trust, the first step is just to ask people, why do you feel as you do? And then when they say why, to address the specific reason why and to affirm their feelings and their reasons. So, you know, at Grady Hospital, we set up a table uh, in the middle of the lobby at Grady in the most high traffic area with the help of our hospital administration and our resident physicians, both at Emory and at the Morehouse School of Medicine, and really set up a place where people who are still in the process of deliberating about whether or not they wish to be vaccinated could come and just ask questions. And we called it the no judgment zone. We're not here to try to sell you a used car. We're not here to get you to sign on the dotted line. We'll help you if you want to. But it's really just a space to ask psychologically safe questions without feeling judged and like you're stupid or like you're a villain. And it's been really powerful. Tell me a little bit about some conversations that you've had at this listening table that have really stuck with you. So I would say um, one of the main things is that whatever people think are the reasons why, air quotes, everyone um, isn't agreeing to be vaccinated, um, they're probably wrong. So every day I learn something new. Probably one of the most eye-opening things is the power of logistical barriers. There are many people who come up to us and they've actually decided that they wish to be vaccinated and something as simple as one of us getting up and escorting them over to check in, register, help with the paperwork and get them where they need to be. That's probably been one of the leading things that we've seen. And we all have been in places where we saw something, it looked like a hassle and we said, ah, never mind. We have a lot of patients like that. Some of the other powerful things that I've seen (laughs) has been someone with their loved one and the loved one's vaccinated and the other individual is not vaccinated. And just through some conversation, the person reaches a decision to become vaccinated. 
more to support the loved one, even if they're they're not you know necessarily ready themselves. I think one more that um, really really stood out for me was uh, a young woman that I was talking to one day who was really very afraid about uh, fertility because she desired to have children, but also she'd read something or heard something that there could potentially be an impact on an unborn son leading to infertility in her future male children. What we try to do is take a step back and, and really try to humanize the individual. I'm a mother. I have two sons. And the day that I took a positive pregnancy test was one of the most terrifying and happy moments of my life. And if there was anything that I could have imagined threatening that or the future of those children, I don't know. I think I would have been really nervous. So we affirm what people think. I say, you know, I'm a mom too. And I can definitely see how that would be scary. And like, you've thought about this a lot. May I share with you a little bit more factual information that might um, help you think about this a little bit differently. And then we have a conversation and, and we focus in on that rather than a playbook, right? A one size fits all. We ask your why and we address your why, but we affirm it because if you really believe that, and depending upon your lived experiences, you know, if you live in an over-policed area and you have seen the worst of what the world can do, you know, you may be in a position where it is plausible for you to believe somebody does not have your best interest in mind. Even if this is just anecdotally, have you seen maybe any kind of trends about, you know, the kind of individual who is looking to have this kind of conversation? Yes. So one of the things you'll notice, and I actually appreciate about our conversation so far, is that we haven't really used the word vaccine hesitant because hesitancy, by definition, really means reluctance and, and really conveys fear. And we start by imagining every person as being on a spectrum of deliberation if they have not yet uh, agreed to be vaccinated. And so the first step is to find out where they are on the spectrum of deliberation. And if you are anything other than a zero, then we have something to talk about. So most of the people that approach us are, you know, somewhere they'll say they're a one, they'll say they're a five. I'll say that some of the trends are just that people have been shut down. We've had to have tissue at the table because just about every time I've been there, somebody has begun to cry because they felt seen and they felt heard. So I would say the biggest thing is that people have been shamed and made to feel stupid about the way that they feel when, um, you know, again, if you imagine, you know, the context of where people are coming from and why they might think that a bigger, you know, organization doesn't have their best interest at heart. I mean, gosh, that that's something to really think about and reflect on. So I think the feeling of shame and lifting off that blanket of shame has probably been one of the most impactful and powerful things that we've seen repetitively. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead, talking today with Dr. Kimberly Manning. She's an internist at Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta about her work to encourage confidence in COVID-19 vaccination. I certainly have had conversations with people just casually um, mm -hmm. who I think have been on the other side of that shame that you're talking about. They don't understand why someone could be on the fence or unsure about getting vaccinated. As a medical professional who certainly doesn't want to see people harmed by COVID-19, how do you balance out giving people that space to feel comfortable enough to, you know, share questions they might 
think other people would see as shameful with you and balance that out with also we're in a pandemic and it matters to all of us that people get vaccinated and there's this kind of larger public good. So how do you navigate that? Yeah, well, I will first admit that I've been an optimist since I was a child. (laughs) So, you know, I, I think that's one piece of it. But I always think about the long game and anything that I do. What's the point? What's the point of me trying to make you feel bad? What 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 good is going to come from that? Ultimately, I want to keep the door open so that you will feel comfortable either coming to me or feeling more confident in being vaccinated. I think the thing, the, the balance for me is that I meet people where they are. And, you know, again, as mentioned before, my, my own identity. I'm a Black American and I grew up in Inglewood, California. I grew up in areas where, you know, Everybody was rich and there are people I went to high school with who are no longer here because of gun violence and gangs and all sorts of things, you know. And again, I'm, I'm, my grandparents were going to school at Tuskegee in the 1940s, where just a few miles away, this horrific study was happening at the same time. So I think historically, I understand that everybody is not coming from the same place. And what if instead of, you know, throwing our hands up and saying, I just don't understand why you wouldn't want to do this instead of why do you feel as you do? Let me think about who you are. And as we start to do that, if you spend enough time and you slow down, you will eventually find the place where you intersect with the person and you find a place of empathy. So for some people, particularly those who come from privilege and who historically have not been in positions where they've seen the worst happen to people who look like them through education, health, and more, it's not a big decision. Whereas there are other people, this is a big decision. It is plausible that maybe somebody is trying to do you harm because of what you've seen. And I think we just have to own that and slow down and think about our own privilege and then give our patients a space to listen to us and not feel shut down. This approach that you're taking is very individualistic, and it says you as a person have lived this experience that informs your perception of this issue. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about that. It does seem like public health doesn't always have the space, the resources to do that kind of one-on-one outreach. Is there any place for maybe external pressure in these kinds of conversations that, you know, many public health officials have been pretty loath to put on people. I think their approach is we'll take all comers when they're ready. But we've seen political leaders, you know, President Biden's um, rhetoric about vaccination has changed over the course of his administration. He's taken, you know, uh, a harder and harder line on really pushing people to get vaccinated. So is there any kind of place for that pushing? I mean, there has to be, you know, Um, I mean, I'm not such an optimist that I'm not not also pragmatic. Right. But I think if we could just respect our patients enough to have those conversations with them, too, um, I think it's reasonable. Right. So, for example, um, I was sitting at the table. There was somebody who um, was employed by a place that had placed a, a vaccine mandate and they came to the table to really sort of express their disdain about that to me. And about how, you know, they probably to feed their family would have to get vaccinated, but really didn't want to get vaccinated and wanted to talk to me about that. And so they asked how I felt about it. And they said, well, you know, I work at a level one trauma center and the place where people go who have no ability to pay. And our hospital on and off has been on diversion for months. And it is primarily because we do not have beds secondary to patients being in the hospital with COVID, the vast majority of whom are unvaccinated. So um, an individual decision is bigger than just one person. And as I told 
this gentleman that I was talking to in a lobby that day, I said, you know, we are all support beams. You know, we're support beams on a structure. And if I pull the support beam out, the whole thing collapses. And I, we just have got to help people see themselves that way. And that resonated with him. I said, listen, you know, do you have a family? Who's around you? Who's in your community? You're a support beam, every single one of us. And we don't know which one of us is the one beam that's going to cause everything to collapse. It might be you. It might not be you. But there's no way for me to know that. And I think the fact that there was a space for him to have that conversation with me, um, I think was impactful. And I think the same way that as um, public health experts talk about how COVID spreads, right? We we have this term called the R not, which expresses how for every one person infected, you know, with the Delta variant, you got five to eight more people that will be infected and they will infect and they will infect. The same goes with knowledge. So if I'm sitting at a table and I give somebody factual information in a trustworthy way where they feel safe asking questions, they're going to go tell somebody and then they're going to go tell somebody and they're going to go tell somebody. And I've really seen on both on social media and in real life experiences, people who were vehement knows come back to me later with a button on that said I've been vaccinated or who said, yeah, I decided to make up my mind. So we're planting seeds. And I think whatever it takes, I do think there needs to be some portion that that is, you know, an external nudge um, because we are support beams, but we still have to have those conversations. Short of people creating the space for folks to kind of have these conversations and potentially get to yes, what else would you like to see from public health officials, from elected leaders, from community leaders uh, to help get more people to yes when it comes to vaccination? I think um, one thing is to really um, recognize the power of words. Words, I think, label people and then um, with labels come narratives. And then people believe there's a playbook and they start to operate in a playbook. So I'm not a personal fan of vaccine hesitant or the vaccine hesitant as a noun or as a term. I'm also not a fan of anti-vaxxer with two X's as a word either, because again, it creates this image of a particular stereotypical person and that person will be met with less empathy and more bias. Um, so that would be one thing I would just do away with some of that language. I think the other things, too, is that we have got to find ways to just make it much, much easier for people. Logistics is a mighty, mighty thing. I mean, yes, they're in all of the retail pharmacies. Yes, they're in community centers, hospitals and everything. But even still, you know, I had a patient tell me in the hospital one day that they said, I have an idea. Y'all just need to get some refrigerated backpacks and you just need to deploy all over the city with refrigerated backpacks saying, I got this COVID vaccine and I'm going to be back here in three weeks and stay for like three or four weeks in the same area when you come back and vaccinate people that way, because oftentimes you just need the logistics removed. And this individual even said the same way that people are out there signing people up to register to vote. Somebody needs to have a backpack on and a clipboard. They need to fill the whole form out for you put the shot in your arm and let you keep it moving. And I think that was a great idea. I think some of the, the logistical barriers that we think are no big deal, they are a big deal. We are filling out papers for people. We are walking people like up to the step to sit down exactly where they need to be because they're not, they're not sure. And again, if you come from privilege and this seems so silly to you, Maybe it's time for all of us to pause and think about, you know, not everybody comes from the same place. 
you mentioned earlier um, that you're kind of looking at the long game here. What is your uh, prediction for, say, what things look like uh, in the future when it comes to people's concerns, reluctance to get vaccinated against COVID-19? You know, again, I'm an optimist. And I think that we are in a very interesting time as far as the dissemination of information, right? A big part of my, you know, vaccine uh, confidence outreach has been on social media. And I have been floored by how powerful social media has been. You know, back in December, I made a little video impulsively after rounding one day um, at Grady, and it was just explaining the science behind how mRNA vaccines work. And, you know, I was speaking in my first language, which I like to call um, African-American vernacular. That's how I talk to myself. That's how I grew up talking. And I was just basically talking as myself, very relaxed. That video, which I think I originally posted to Facebook, was it was shared thousands and thousands of times. It was played in churches. It was like shared all over the place. And people would come up to me, complete strangers, and say, I saw your video explaining how the mRNA vaccines worked. And that did it for me. That changed my mind because now I understand how it works. I think that as we continue to be thoughtful and strategic and intentional about being trustworthy, um, not just building trust, building trust through trustworthiness, I think that we we have the opportunity to not only move people um, toward being more confident in COVID vaccines, but also more confident in the healthcare system period. I think it's an opportunity for us to really take a step back and think about how we keep stereotyping people and creating these narratives that do not align with the individual. So I'm optimistic that this will have an impact both on COVID vaccines and our future with our patients. Dr. Kimberly Manning is an internist at Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta. Did you wash your hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and WABE.org.